Hello, everyone. Pastor Chris here, and as you already know, we address a lot of complicated and serious subjects here on the PeaceWorks podcast. And today, in our episode, I'll be talking with my friend Tabitha Westbrook about a very serious topic that, for some of you, may be a good opportunity to skip or pause or go back and listen to another episode. Today's topic is healthy sexuality after abuse. So please take care when listening. Um, This is a serious subject, and Tabby and I are very passionate about it, but we want to make sure that all of our listeners are caring well for themselves and using wisdom when listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. Welcome to the PeaceWorks podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks podcast, everyone. We are so glad that you have decided to spend a few moments with us. We're going to be talking once again to our friend Tabitha Westbrook about healthy sexuality for survivors. But before we jump into that content, I want to draw your attention to something that will be headed your way in October of 2024. We're a good piece off at the time of this recording, but I think it's important that you know PeaceWorks Live will be back this fall, October 10th and 11th, this time in Winfield, West Virginia, and we will have the largest collection of speakers and tracks and options that we have ever had in the past. And I think you're going to want to be a part of that. So uh, be watching out for the registration, be looking for the information. You're going to want to make the trip to beautiful West Virginia to hang out in my backyard and uh, interact with some great content from some great speakers, along with maybe the most passionate uh, tribe when it comes to uh, gospel centered solutions for domestic abuse. So be sure to check that out. Uh, You can learn more at chrismoles.org. Stay connected to our socials. And of course, listen to the PeaceWorks podcast. All right, everybody. Uh, Our guest today is once again, Tabitha Westbrook. Tabby is a counselor and uh, an advocate and an interventionist and an expert in multiple areas, also a business owner who is here today to share with us something that she has been researching, studying, and walking with clients on for quite some time now, and that's healthy sexuality uh, for survivors. This is not something that we hear a lot about, Tabby. Uh, What led you and drew you to this particular subject? It is not something we hear a lot about, but something we should. Um, And I kept seeing it in my office. Um, my clinicians kept seeing it in their offices. You know, we, um, we serve, you know, abuse survivors um, primarily and, and, you know, along with any complex trauma. So not only is it, you know, survivors of domestic abuse, but survivors of childhood abuse and things like that. And we kept seeing it show up in the women that we were serving. And then, you know, the Lord in his infinite wisdom had me speak on this topic at the call to peace retreat. Um, in 2023. Yeah. And the, and, and it was just, you could tell from the women in the room, this is a topic they were desperate for. Right. And so that is how I kind of dove into, um, 
this topic of just, you know, this is something that is so needed and we need to be talking about it. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've, I've been wrestling with uh, a little bit lately, it's something that uh, our friend Darby Strickland brought to my attention years ago, which was the correlation, or I should say, there is a corollary to it, but I should say maybe the direct connection or next step of uncovering aspects of what we call emotional abuse in, say, a Christian marriage and how quickly the the first aspect of physical harm or threat or coercion seems to be connected to sexuality, that many of the women that we had worked with who are victims or survivors um, have not just a story of belittlement, ridicule, uh, threats, coercion, and fear, but also almost always an account of sexual coercion, sexual assault, or rape. I I know that's not kind of in our original back and forth on this, Tabby, but it it popped in my mind as a connection for pastors and biblical counselors. Has this been similar in your practice, seeing these type of presentations go hand in hand? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it is not usually the first thing that a victim or survivor will tell you, right? right? First of all, just think about the tenderness of it. Yeah, That's one of the things that like I hold in my own body, honestly, just in the way that we talk about this is the tenderness of this because of its intimate nature. Yeah. And so I just, you know, as we're kind of delving in here, I just really want to just say that even as we're starting to talk about it now, I feel in my own body, the weight of this topic because it is not the first thing and it may not even be the second or third thing that people talk about. Um, but as I'm working and building a relationship with my client and we're working toward health, this invariably comes out. I have yet to work with a survivor where sexual harm is not part of the story, whether it is marital rape, whether it is forced to watch pornography, whether it is forced to reenact pornography. Um, Things of that nature are um, common, and I wish they weren't. Yeah. And you know, coercion in the bedroom, you know, coercion in abuse is is it covers all the areas, yeah. and the bedroom is one of them. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me, and again, uh, I don't want to take too much time just kind of sidetracking on the things that we've encountered, but it it is fascinating and troubling, and and it does impact me as well, like my heart and mind and to think through aspects like the purity culture or even the way that we presented sexuality to young women and young men in particular. And then how many of, uh, of our Christian marriages are impacted by sexual coercion and a really a warped understanding of sex and sexuality in marriage that survivors, I believe this is part of your thesis, Tabby survivors are now carrying with them in both their own heart, mind, body, and maybe even into uh, new relationships. Why do you? Why don't you? Why do you think we spend so little time on this topic? Why is this the topic? You mentioned tenderness, but there's got to be some other reasons why we avoid discussing this. I think that historically, in modern evangelical churches, having honest conversations about sex, especially in women's ministry has been challenging. Yeah. Um, it's just not done. You know, it's, we hear a lot of, you know, don't have sex before marriage, which sure. is right and good. Um, but then we don't talk about sex in marriage. Right. Well, and we don't talk about when it isn't going well. 
we don't, you know, so it's, you know, like how can, here's, here's what a lot of women hear. And I'm not saying all churches are like this. So I just right. want to really preface this. There are great, wonderful churches out there and this isn't their story. Right. This is what I hear in my office. So please understand that. I'm not saying all churches are bad. <laughs> um, I'm saying that a lot of churches will have the conversation of how can you please your man more in bed Yeah. instead of, you know, what is a right, good and healthy sexual relationship. And then if you're a single woman, God freaking forbid that you hear any of that, you know, because you shouldn't even be thinking about sex because you're single, except for the fact that we were created as sexual beings and that, you know, that is actually part of our creation. And so how are we talking to single women or women who are no longer in a marriage relationship about sex? And that is not happening at all in most places. And that's, and, and I do think there's a little bit of fear. Like if we talk about it, are people just going to go run out and have sex in ways that God, you know, or have sexual interactions in ways that would be dishonoring to God. Um, and, and, and so I understand the fear of it. I sure. really do. But it, you know, and it, I can understand my pastors would have a tougher time. It's like, how do we enter into that? What do we say? What kind of words can we talk about around it? And I think giving some language to it and just saying like, Hey, let's try, let's like enter into these places together and try to have a conversation sure. and try to build some scaffolding for folks to come to places of healing. If God wants us to be healed and whole, this is part of that process. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's good advice to, to think through with survivors in particular, um, because you are typically as humans, we're going to take our own experience or own understanding into future relationships or not for, for many of the survivors that we work with a choice not to engage in a relationship and then still have these views of sexuality that are impacting them personally. Uh, that would be far better. I would think far better, uh, analyze, say in a support group or in a small group or in a, uh, environment where you can kind of be free and open to ask questions, to respond well, uh, rather than simply saying best of luck. And we have seen with some survivors that the best of luck approach has ended in things such as kind of a a self-imposed celibacy uh, or a silence or even promiscuity in in some cases that maybe would be unhealthy and would be better served with a biblical worldview. So I I do think, you know, hearing you talk, this is going to be, this is a powerful work. And I think I'm looking forward to um, seeing what God does with this upcoming work and book that, that you've been tasked with. So when we're talking about healing from, uh, or, or I should say healthy sexuality for survivors, what are some of the indicators that you're seeing maybe in your practice, uh, or in your discussion with uh, your other therapists and counselors that people need to do this work? What are the indicators that healing is really needed in the life of an individual who's surviving domestic abuse? So, a lot of times I hear when someone does get remarried, mm-hmm. you know, if they enter into another intimate relationship, oh, yeah. um, that they don't know how to function in a bedroom. Yeah. Like everything's a trigger and they, and their poor spouse who, you know, maybe an excellent, wonderful spouse is like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And so there's a brokenness that was never addressed that needs to be addressed. And then, you know, there are things that happen in abuse and I'll just say it this way, the neurons that fire together, wire together. When we mix pleasure and pain, mm-hmm. then we can mix pleasure and pain as part of our arousal structures. So a survivor may find herself 
in spaces that are real uncomfortable and not, not good, not healthy. And I, I'm wrestling a little bit with how directly yeah. to say this. I'll be honest. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be reasonably direct and we'll just see yeah. how it goes. Sure. Um, you know, but for those listening, if you are a survivor and this is triggering, please take care of yourself. Um, but I have seen a number of women who were forced to watch pornography sure. in the bedroom and now have struggles with being aroused outside of that. Yeah. Um, and who find themselves in an addictive or compulsive space and, and vilify themselves because sure. they don't know what to do with that. When as a therapist who understands how these things can get tied together, um, it makes perfect sense. And, and there's ways to untie them, Yeah, you know, but like, it's super hard for a survivor to like go up to their women's ministry leader and be like, Hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Can we talk yeah. about it? Want to get coffee on Tuesday? Right. You know, like, I mean, that's a real hard place to be. Sure. And I really want this to be a conversation because it happens way more often. Just, you know, a, a, a fusing together of things than we would, than we would think, honestly, um, for survivors. And like, you know, a lot of times violence gets fused to the arousal structure. Yeah. And so we really need to learn how to move out of that and untie some of those bonds yeah. so that we can move into something that looks much healthier and much safer, right? And then also there's this thing called reenactment that survivors of trauma do when the trauma isn't addressed. And you mentioned promiscuity. And so some women go, look, I played by the rules, then I got played by the rules. I did it exactly as my church said, and look where it got me. So now I'm going to do what I want. Or they're trying to fix what was broken through continually entering into a dark place, hoping it's going to have a different outcome. And that's just a survival mechanism. Yeah. It's definitely not where we want to stay, right. but it can be a survival mechanism for people. And when we can't talk about that, sin grows in secret and shame grows in secret. And yeah. when we can't put it out on the table and put it in the light, then people are just left to suffer. Yeah. And the church is a place where suffering should be healed, right? It should be the safest place to come with those things and say, I don't know what to do. Please help me. Yeah. Sin and suffering growing in secret, growing in dark places is, I think, a powerful reminder for us as to why we have these conversations, why we should be having these conversations. I know in, in perpetrator work over the years, we've had some similar, um, some similar conversations about sexualized violence and how we're kind of programming our hearts and our minds and our brains to, um, to the, as you put it, kind of programming even arousal to um, connect to acts of violence. And that is, um, I know for abusive individuals, severely damaging. And then it harms in the wake, you know, person after person after person. And uh, now hearing that from your take that this is happening to survivors as well, who maybe um, are are getting some of those wires crossed. um, Yeah, that would affect the choices that you make, the temptations that you face. And if you don't discuss it, right, you can't get healthy uh, boundaries. You can't get healthy definitions. You can't get healthy perspectives. So is it any wonder that we get in a little bit of heat with some folks for talking about the lived experience of a victim? But if you don't know the experience that that victim had, right, then it's going to be difficult for you to prescribe the process of sanctification that that victim needs. And so, again, listener, if you're if you're tuning in, trying to get some help as a helper, learn stories, be patient, and be prepared to hear some very dark 
um, and sinister things in a responsible way so that you can help guide people to the light. I hope it didn't take too much of your thunder, Tabby, but I thought that was important to mention. It's so important. So, so important. And there is a significant body of research growing all the time that shows that pornography use is informing two things. One, it is it is absolutely a pathway to abuse because it is almost always abusive, the way that sex and sexuality are portrayed in pornography. There is a ton of research around that. And then also it's informing women on what are you like in the bedroom? What are you supposed to be like, which is taken advantage of sure. in all honesty. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm the wrestle is real on what i'm about to say yeah it's difficult being on a podcast but we're just going to go for it it is uh (laughs) look the first access of pornography for most kids is 11 yeah and that's boys and girls and if you don't think the currency of high school is pornographic imagery you are wrong Mm -hmm. and and that is an unfortunate heartbreaking awful truth so that is what is talking to our children about healthy sex yeah. to begin with. And we're seeing that play out in abusive relationships where the sense of entitlement and you will give me what I want in the bedroom is very much alive and well. Yeah. And, and that, and then a woman who believes that, well, that is how you have sex. That is how this is supposed to look ends up harmed. And then wondering like, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, and, and what is this actually supposed to look like? And I think we are in the Christian sphere talking about it more, but the the rampantness of pornography is so damaging. And I mean, aside from it being completely wicked, you know, it's just, it's harming people left and right, you know, both men and women. So let's, let's take a step. We, we referenced it earlier. I think it's important. I don't know how to formulate the question, so you may have to reorganize re, um, it here in a minute, buddy. But we talked a bit about these like co-occurring aspects of control. And certainly sexualized, sexualized control, sexual coercion is real. But as you're looking over, say, the, the landscape of abuse, individuals whose experience physical and sexual abuse that are articulated – we can kind of see the correlation between that and healthy sexuality. But I do think we are seeing in the Christian world, as I referenced earlier, a correlation between other aspects of what we call abuse, coercive control that isn't physical or directly sexual, that is sexualized or sexually informing. In what ways do you see what some people call covert or non-physical abuse tactics, things like spiritual abuse or emotional abuse or psychological abuse, those type of tactics how do you see that impacting a victim's sexuality? If I can't say no to you on where we're going to dinner, I can't say no to you on anything else. Yeah. Right. And if I believe because of spiritual abuse that my yes was at the altar, my yes for all time, no matter what was happening, right? then how do I say no? How do I say I even have a preference on something? Yeah. If I can't disagree with you at all. And and that's the overall timbre of an abusive relationship, right? Like, I can't say yes or no. I can't say anything you would disagree with, yeah. whatever it is. So I can't say you're hurting me. I can't say I don't like this. I can't say I am uncomfortable in any context. 
right? Like if it's like, if I don't make you chicken nachos for dinner, you're going to fly into a rage, break the plate and throw it in the trash. Yeah. So I better make you beef nachos only, you know, or whatever it is, right? Like whatever it is, I'm not going to bow up against you in the most intimate place and say, when I am at my most vulnerable, Uh no. Yeah. I might say not tonight. I don't feel well. Right. I might say a lot of those things in an attempt to be in a more safe place. Right. But I already know what you're capable of. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think for pastors and, and counselors, especially those of us who are men, this might seem like a foreign concept. Um, I'm not wanting to downplay anyone who experienced maybe childhood sexual assault. And so please hear my heart on this. I think sometimes that connection is difficult to make, but I, I do think it's a next step for us as we're learning things like, oh, so he, you know, he goes into a rage when he doesn't get what he wants in something basic, like what movie we attend or what meal we're having or what clothes that you're wearing. Those are huge red flags anyway. But don't be afraid then to pull the rope to learn about opportunities to restrain an individual or to silence an individual or even sexually assault an individual. Those are all pathways that we should be pursuing as helpers to bring about the healing and the necessary accountability in those relationships. Could you take uh, just a little bit of time, Tabby, and speak to the survivors that maybe are listening in who are realizing that they're, they're in need of some help what steps can they take now to engage in healing or perhaps understanding healthy sexuality for survivors? First of all, knowing that you need to is a great place to start. And this is a scary topic for so many survivors. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just never going to talk about this ever again. I'm never having sex or thinking about sex or anything ever again. It's often what I hear, (laughs) Um, except you probably will. And this is, you know, know, part of the healing process, right? Like anything that we don't look at has the potential to become a real issue, you know, or is already a real issue, right? Like, you know, we, I I know how hard it is to start putting language around it, to talk about it with somebody else. It's really difficult. Sure. Um, You know, so if you're realizing like, oh my gosh, yeah, I've never thought about needing to talk about this, but now that you mention it, (laughs) oh goodness, Um, you know, a great place to go is, obviously to a therapist that knows what they're doing in this area, um, you know, that can help you walk through that. Um, this is one of the times I would say a Christian therapist is wise, mm-hmm. um, a, a Christian abuse informed therapist. Right. Let me just be real clear. Um, you know, cause we don't need trite answers either. Right. We don't need, you know, read more, pray more, fast more. Although those things are all beautiful and good. They're not only in some, in, you know, in this arena, you need to be able to wrestle through what's happening in your body, heart and mind. Um, you need to have somebody ideally that is willing to also engage your body because this is a body-based assault, right? right? Like our bodies keep the score. Our bodies hold this trauma. Um, our bodies experience this trauma in addition to our soul and mind. So we want to engage all of us in healing, all of our, our whole self. Um, and then just taking that first step of saying, hey, this is an area that I'm that I'm struggling in or that I haven't touched or that scares me. Um, and, and being willing to just take first steps in that. I think that's really the biggest piece of it. And, and then just one step at a time, right. It doesn't have to be fixed in a day. 
it's it's tender it's weighty it's convoluted and tied to other stuff often so taking it slow is okay like we this is not microwave mm-hmm. ability right like mm-hmm. this is not the two minute mcdonald's drive through kind of healing like we need it's gonna take a minute um and that's okay and so just being willing to go slow and go at the pace you need to and obviously prayer like you know I don't think we can do any good healing personally without Jesus. <laughs> um, he is the counselor. Yeah. He is the healer. You know, um, he is our provider and our hope. And so, being able to just like go, Lord, this is messy. Yeah, this is messy, and it's scary. And and I don't even, in some ways, know how to say these words. And I've had so many clients who, where they can't say the words, but they can write to me. Yeah. So they'll bring in a paper with some of the harm written out and hand it to me and let me read it. And then we just go slow. We just go slow and that's okay. And we're going to get there. And that's the beauty. Like God doesn't want this to be broken for you. He wants it to be healed and he is a healer. He will bring beauty from ashes in this area. And I think holding on to that when it's really hard and dysregulating is a key piece as well. Yeah, I was having this discussion with someone just yesterday <clears throat> about transformation. And I think the expectation is that transformation happens instantaneously. And I was like, I don't think it's ever been designed to be uh, one way today, a different way tomorrow. I think it's always been designed as a process. Now, certainly there are changes that should happen quickly, um, but that's not the whole person for sure. So taking your time, learning, listening, um, working, uh, with patience is fantastic advice. Uh, so Tabby, when, uh, when can we expect the book and do we have a tentative title on it yet? We do. It is, um, the, the tentative title right now is healthy sexuality after abuse, yeah. inviting your body to something different. And we are looking at a release in spring of 2025. Um, but I am happy to talk to anybody about this at any point in awesome. time as well just because I know how weighty this is and how needed it is. And we've only barely touched the surface here today of this topic. There's so much to it. Um, So I know that there's probably listeners who are like, oh my goodness gracious, there's so much more. And and yes, we know, (laughs) we are aware. So where Um, where can folks find you and what would be a good next step if they want to get connected to you? So the best way to find me is through my website, which is thejourneyandtheprocess.com. Um, and spell out and a and D, uh, and that is the best way to find me and connect up. So if you have questions or if I can be a supporter, if my team can be a support, um, in this, in any way, like this is, this is hard stuff, man. It's, it's really hard stuff. And if pastors are like, oh my goodness, you know, women's ministry leaders are listening and are like, I don't know how do you even enter in? Like, please hit me up. I want to help you enter in. This is a hard place. It is a difficult place. And and, but it's a good place. It's a worth it place so that we can have overall good health and, and good, good things within our church and in our bodies. And, and just, there's so much goodness here, right? God created sex and sexuality in beautiful ways. Like it is meant to be beautiful. And I think the church has a lot that it can say in good life giving ways around this topic. Yeah. Thank you so much, buddy, for being with us today. And thank you, listener, for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. If you are benefiting from the things you're hearing at uh, the PeaceWorks podcast, would you help us out? Rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform you're listening on asks you to do. 
That would really help us out. We appreciate you guys so much. Until next time, God bless.